0: Good morning. We'll continue our reading in Matthew um, in just a second. The the reading today um, continues from uh, verse 30 through to 56 and then we'll jump to verse 69 and go to 75 where Peter disowns Jesus uh, after the cock crew thrice. Now after the... Um, the supper, the, the supper that Stephen was reading about and that we just experienced as our, our communion this morning, they uh, they sang a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is east of Jerusalem. So on the east wall of the Temple Mount, the, uh, the valley goes down to the Brook of Kidron. Down there is the Garden of Gethsemane and Mount of Olives rises to the east from there. And... Um, and those features are still visible in, uh, in Jerusalem, in Israel today. So when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will f- all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee." Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I, will nev- I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back again, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, Let us go, here comes, my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now Moving to verse 69 in Matthew 26. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again and with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore at them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly.
1: amazing how you can think you're prepared for something but then when it comes it still manages to take you by surprise. Uh, it was a bit like this for me a couple of weeks ago with, with COVID, three weeks, it's all right, I'm, I'm safe now, don't worry. For two years I'd, I'd known COVID is, is circling around us. I remember being told we're all going to get it at some point. I noticed the uh, numbers in SA were going up quite a lot. My um, kid's school was messaging me every hour, it seemed, that there was a new case in the kid's class. I should have been well and truly prepared that COVID was coming, and I was in one sense, but then what happens when I do the rat test on one of my kids and it comes back positive? I'm shocked. I'm sitting there kind of dumbfounded, struggling to think through what life will mean now for the next few weeks, struggling to remember what I'm supposed to do next suddenly realising how unprepared I really was and how little toilet paper I'd managed to stockpile <laughs> even though I had two years to do it. Being truly prepared, it's harder than I thought. Now, for quite a while now, we've been working through Matthew across the last 12 months or more, and for quite a while we've been seeing that Jesus has been preparing his disciples, preparing them for the fact that he is about to die and at the beginning of our chapter today he he does it yet again in verse 2 he says to them as you know the passover is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified they know this it's just two days away and yet they don't really know it not on a deep level now being mentally and, and physically prepared to get COVID is one thing but them being able to wrap their minds around the idea that Jesus is about to be crucified is something else. Because these people, they're seriously invested in his success. And what he's talking about sounds to them like failure. They've given up the last three years of their lives. They've lived a life on the road, not seen their wife and their kids. They've given up income for three years their reputation, even their life is on the line. And they know that it's worth it because they know the kingdom of God is coming. They've seen firsthand what Jesus can do, healing the sick, calming the storm, even raising the dead. It's clear to them that victory is coming. And so when Jesus starts talking about not victory, not even plans and and strategies that they need to put in place... When his preparations are talking to them about his humiliation, his death on a cross, it's incredibly hard for them to be prepared to accept that this is the way that God is going to win his victory through Jesus. And time's running out for them to get prepared. It's getting pretty close to the end now. It's Thursday night. It's not two days till Jesus dies now. It's the very night before jesus death and throughout this night as we've just had it read at several points what we see is that jesus starts to prepare his disciples in a new way he prepares them for god's victory by preparing them for their own failure that's what we see across this night jesus gently lovingly prepares them for what's about to happen and what's going to happen is that before they taste victory they're going to face grief, they're going to face defeat, and they're going to face failure. And in fact, the only way that they will ever taste victory is by coming face to face with their failure. What they really need to understand is that victory for them can come to them, only ever come to them, by Jesus alone. I mean, the point is, Jesus sees what we don't see. That we don't have what it takes so first in in verse 20 as evening comes jesus prepares them for what's about to happen by pointing them to judas betrayal this is the failure of of a worse kind you know after everything that judas had seen and heard and all that time with jesus he joins his enemies and hands jesus over to death for money judas betrayal to the other disciples must have felt like all that Jesus had been working towards was falling apart. But Jesus prepares them to understand it differently. He says, rather than destroying what they've been working for, Jesus' failure is is something that God actually intends to use in his plan. What Judas does is so wrong, but his failure doesn't threaten God's victory. It's at this point, in the night that Jesus takes the Passover meal and, and yet again, he prepares his followers to understand what his death is all about. His body is broken and his blood is spilled and it's exactly God's plan because his death is not defeat, it's victory. It's victory, he helps them understand because his death is for their forgiveness, the forgiveness of their failures, their sin. It's victory because his death is so that there can be a place for them in that banquet where he will drink new wine with them. And then just before they leave the warmth and the light of the house and head out into the darkness, they sing a psalm together after having drunk the cup. And probably in what they did back then, it was probably Psalm 118 of all psalms. In that psalm, in verse 6, They would have sung the lord is with me i will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me it's it's a psalm that's all about the victory that god wins for those who trust in him and so they head out into the cold and the dark to the mount of olives and even though it's been a a bit of a, a confusing and traumatic night already in some ways the disciples are resolved they're not going to be afraid of mere mortals. Unlike Judas, they're not going to fail. They're going to stand strong to the end, whatever that end might be. But we see Jesus keeps preparing them for what's actually going to happen. He says to them in verse 1, This very night you, all, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. When you think about it, it's kind of sad after three years that in the last moments together, Jesus is using this time to point out that they're going to fail him. But but this is the shepherd caring for his sheep. The reality is no matter how self-confident or genuine they are, the truth is they don't have what it takes to stay faithful to the end. They're there thinking that Jesus needs them. That they think that they can be there for him in his hour of need. But they can't. They can't and they need to hear this. Jesus' point there is not to shame them. It's to prepare them. Because they won't be able to share in his victory. Until they see that their path to victory is not found within. It's not won by their strength or by their faithfulness. It's won by Jesus. Jesus. It's won by Jesus overcoming our failures. But they can't see it. They're not going to fall away. They're going to help Jesus with his victory. And Peter, especially, is confident of this. He says in verse 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. But Jesus tells him not only will Peter fall away, but in just a matter of hours... deny that he even knows him three times now this is beyond belief for peter and he says in verse 35 even if i have to die with you i will never disown you and all the other disciples said the same maybe this is peter being arrogant or maybe it's peter just being a bit thick but whatever the case is he genuinely feels that he would die for jesus and don't you think it's, it's kind of a beautiful declaration of devotion he's a man a rough man who's come to see in jesus the the power of god he's come to see in jesus someone worth following and he's clear in his mind and his heart he's in his strength, his body, even his, his life itself, he's given it over to Jesus and his cause. And whatever it takes, whatever the cost, he'll pay it. He'll be there for Jesus to the bitter end. It's moving stuff in a way. And yet Jesus sees what Peter won't see. He's not able to follow through on it. And that's exactly what we see happen we see even the best of us can't stand before God. Jesus stands alone. We sometimes think of Jesus like he's kind of floating along, unfazed, untouchable, inhuman. And there's no doubt that Jesus is calm and in control and in a real sense, he's not afraid of of what mere mortals will do to him. But in no way is he detached or superhuman in that sense. And what happens next, we, we get a taste of, of the burden that Jesus goes to bear and a taste of the effect that it has on him. And we also get a taste of the failure of even the best of us. Jesus takes all his disciples to Gethsemane, but he takes just three of them on a bit further for support. Verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled this isn't a game for jesus this isn't some kind of performance that he's going through jesus is standing on the edge of a cliff and he says to them in verse 38 my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death so what does he want from his closest friends verse 38 stay here and keep watch with me he wants their company he wants to know that someone else is there praying too he wants a hand on the shoulder at the right time them walking with him as he bears this awful weight and it is an awful weight we see he goes a little further falls on his face and he he prays my father if it's possible may this cup be taken from me jesus doesn't want this how could he want this why would he want to take on the sin of the world to absorb it become it why would he want to face god's real anger god who he loves and redirect it onto himself jesus wants to be saved from this dreadful mission and yet there's something else that he wants even more verse 39 he prays yet not as i will but as you will jesus wants what god wants more than he wants his own life jesus wants to win the victory that god wants to win Humanity's failures forgiven forever Now none of us have ever stood on on such an awful cliff on the edge of such an awful cliff that jesus stands, stands on none of us ever will or even could but many of us have had times where we've had a taste of of overwhelming sorrow in the hours before surgery in the moments before a court case when someone ends a relationship when your partner or your child or your mother is dying in front of you if you've if you've ever been through those kind of overwhelming sorrow times then you know that that at those times the hand on the shoulder or knowing that people are praying for you or walking with you they're the things that make a real difference but as jesus shoulders this burden that we can't even begin to comprehend look at where his closest friends are in verse 40 then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour he asked peter Three times Jesus gives himself to the will of the Father and three times Peter, James and John don't even have the willpower to stay awake with him. They want to stand with Jesus but in the end what they want even more is to sleep. They fail to even support Jesus by staying awake with him let alone help him in any way with his victory. But suddenly the disciples are awakened because things become very real. Because into the garden, Judas leads a band of of men armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And Judas, who's not genuine at all, betrays Jesus with a kiss. And while Peter and the others weren't so strong in praying with Jesus and just being there for them, This is their kind of moment. This is the moment where they're ready to shine and prove themselves. One of them grabs the sword that they have and stands up to this mob armed to the teeth. And when they step forward to grab Jesus, he steps up to the challenge and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. Doesn't accomplish a lot, but but it's still courage, isn't it? Even if I have to die with you, they had all said And here it looks like they're going to follow that through. But Jesus tells them if they're going to die with him, it's not going to be by chopping off people's ears. That's not the kind of victory that he's after. His fight isn't even with this mob. It's more significant than that. His fight isn't even with the leaders who sent them or the Romans. It's bigger than all of that. Jesus goes to do battle with something that no sword can even touch. He goes to do battle with something that no human, no other human can even touch. His fight is with sin and its consequence, death. And he fights by surrendering to it in the place of others. The disciples, they think that Jesus needs him, but he doesn't. He says to them in verse 53, Do you think I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Jesus could call on over 70,000 beings, each one on their own, who could deal with this mob. That's the kind of power that he has at his disposal at all times. Jesus surrenders to this army and to these leaders, not because he has to, but because he's surrendering himself to the will of God in order to fight for his people By giving his life for theirs. And the disciples. The disciples are willing to fight. And even die. But what they're not willing to do is surrender. And so in verse 56 we see. Then all the disciples deserted him. And fled. For all those confident words. All their genuine intentions. In the end. They failed. In the end, they run off into the dark, defeated, leaving Jesus to face what's coming alone. Not one of them stands with him. Except for Peter. Peter, who'd said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And now he does what I'm not sure I could ever, ever force myself to do. He pulls himself together with an act of willpower, musters up the courage and walks into the house of his enemy. He even sits with the guards within eyeshot of Jesus, eyesight of Jesus. And there in the distance, Jesus being accused by the high priest, false witnesses are being paraded before him and they seem to be getting more and more desperate in their accusations because Jesus stands there silently but then he speaks and then there's a kind of uproar in the crowd and Peter's trying to figure out what's going on but suddenly he finds he's got problems of his own because a servant girl is staring at him and then the next thing she's trying to out him as a follower of Jesus but Peter again manages to pull himself together hold his nerve he quickly denies it and he moves away a bit out to the gateway but would you believe it another servant girl appears and starts saying the same thing. He's thinking, what is it with these servant girls? They're not the kind of people you would normally find terrifying, but every time they walk past, every time they whisper to each other, it's all Peter can do to stop himself from running. But he manages to keep it together until a group of men walk up to him and confront him. And things are getting pretty desperate now, so he throws in some swear words to add weight to his denial of Jesus when suddenly a rooster crows and he remembers what had seemed impossible to him just hours ago now seemed like his only option and so for the third time that night the third time that night he leaves Jesus standing alone to face his fate once in the garden while he slept when Jesus needed him once when he was arrested he ran And now for the third night, he fails Jesus. Third time that night. And from here on in, Jesus stands completely alone. But you know, that was exactly what Jesus has been preparing them to see across this night. What they needed to see. What we need to see. What we need to see is that Jesus alone can turn our grief to joy our defeat to victory and our failure into forgiveness. Jesus alone, no one but Jesus. Not even yourself can do this for yourself. Jesus goes to the cross because he sees beyond it, to the victory that God is winning. He sees beyond the the suffering and the the pain of the cross. He sees that this is God's gateway, God's only gateway to our joy and joy our victory, our forgiveness. And he sees that unless he takes you through that gateway, you are never going to get there. Do you know, as, as Peter abandons Jesus, he's, he's genuinely broken. He's, he's weeping bitterly. He's shamefully aware that in the end, he can't stand before God faithful to the end. He doesn't have what it takes. He knows he left Jesus standing alone. But do you know that it's at that point that he's closest, he's the closest he's ever been to the victory that Jesus is winning for him? At that point. It's true. Because it's at that point, maybe for the first time, he finally sees that he doesn't have what it takes. He needs Jesus and not the other way around. You know, most people that we know they neither hate Jesus or even really think about Him. Most people simply drift on through life asleep, like the disciples, unaware of what's at stake, dreaming of their own ability to turn grief into joy and defeat to victory. But not one of us will ever get there on our own because until our failures before God are turned to forgiveness we're lost and we face God's anger. I don't know what your failures are in this life before God. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's how you brought up your kids. Maybe it's sexual failure. Maybe it's something destructive to life. Maybe it's that you've just never really given God that much thought. Or maybe it's that even though you've given him a lot of thought, it just doesn't seem to change how you live. The truth is we all fail, God. But when we finally see our failure and it finally drives us to Jesus, that's when we share in God's victory. Because that's when God turns our failure into forgiveness. Your failures, my failures, no matter... How many they are, how serious they are, how inexcusable or disgusting or how weak they show us to be. When they drive you to Jesus, he turns grief to joy and defeat to victory because he answers our failures with his forgiveness. He forgives you. Do you believe that? Jesus forgives you. Let me pray for us. Father, we think that we understand our failure before you. We think that we're prepared for that. And yet so often we either don't see our failures and don't see our need for Jesus. Or we see our failures and and think that you could never forgive us. Never bring us to victory. Lord, help us to be aware of our failure, but to be even more aware of what Jesus has accomplished at the cross alone on our behalf, that we truly enter into your victory in him, your joy, because in him and him alone, we are absolutely forgiven. We pray, Lord, that we would hold on to this forgiveness, Lord, and hold it out to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.